Hi everyone and welcome to the Power Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. I'm really great to be with you all again. And I've got another great guest with me today. Um, first time guest on the show. Um, he's a pastor and an author from Canada. And his name is Charles Stone. So welcome to the show. Great to be with you, James. Um, yeah. Um, and you've just released a book, which I think um, we're going to talk about today, which is um, on a really fascinating subject. Um, and... Um, it's to do with spirituality and it's and also a bit of science um, and stuff about the brain um, and a concept called holy noticing um, which is the name of the book as well so I'm really interested to explore this just tell us a bit about the concept of holy noticing and what it actually means you bet um, well it's it's actually uh, my kind of take on something that is very very popular today mindfulness Mindfulness is big in the UK, big in Canada, it's big in, in the States. Uh, it's in schools, uh, athletes are practicing it, uh, it's in businesses. And I realized that kind of my tribe, uh, you might, you know, cr- Christians don't have a lot of accessible content on this very important practice that has a lot of scientific support and a lot of biblical support. So. I, I define holy noticing, first of all, as an art. It's not necessarily a science, although science supports it. And here's how I define it. Holy noticing is noticing with a holy purpose, God in his handiwork, our relationships, and our inner world of thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my working definition of it. It's really been in process for the past few years and culminating in the book. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's a really fascinating um, book. Um, I mean, what led you to kind of start noticing this this art of holy noticing? Well, actually, it's a very visceral thing for uh, for me, James. It was it started in a high chair. Now I was not in a high chair, but my youngest daughter Tiffany, thirty two years ago, we were in a little town in the southern U.S. And it was Christmas Day. I was feeding her puree peaches or something like that. And I noticed her left eye was quivering. And that's just not right. So we were really freaked out there. And a couple of days later, went to the doctor. We said, oh, it's probably something called a strabismus, something she'll grow out of. But when you go back home, we lived in a large city of Atlanta at the time. You might want to see a specialist. Got back home, saw a specialist. He said, it's probably a strabismus. But it looks like a scan of it anyway. A few days later, got a CAT scan on the way home, you know, pulled the driveway. As I was opening the front door, the phone was ringing, ran into the kitchen, picked it up, and it was the doctor. He said, Mr. Stone, we have the results of the CAT scan. He says, your daughter has a lesion. Now, I didn't know what a lesion was. I thought, you know, I'll take the antibody and it goes away. And then he said something that changed the trajectory of our lives for the next 20 plus years. He says, your daughter has a brain tumor. Tiffany was a year old had a brain tumor. So fast forward ahead, over the past two to three decades, we've lived in this neuroscience world, this neuro- neurological world. She's had a dozen brain surgeries. She's had an experimental treatment. She's had two devices put into her body and out of her body, part of the brain removed. She's doing pretty well right now. She's going to seminary to, to be a chaplain. But what this did for me, James, is not, I begin to question myself. I was a committed Christian. I practiced all the spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, Bible study, prayer, fasting, all those kinds of things. But there was something still missing. I was anxious a lot. I I reacted as a leader. I was a pastor, and I reacted to people. There was just kind of this lack of peace. So I began asking myself, is there a, a missing piece 
And me understanding how my brain works as it intersects spirituality, which led me to begin researching and studying. I got a degree in the neuroscience of leadership. Uh, and out of my thesis, which was on uh, mindfulness for the Christian leader, came uh, this book uh, over the you know the past couple of years I've been working on it. So that's that's really how it started. That visceral connection with my daughter having a brain tumor. That's what wow. led, really led to the book. It's often the way that happens that you know the circumstances of our own lives kind of shape our story so powerfully, yes, like mm-hmm. and our own journey. Like I found that in my experience as well. That a lot of the creative work I've done, a lot of what I've learned has come from circumstances and tragedy as well. Um, yes. Because yes. mm-hmm. um, obviously, getting a brain tumor at one year old is, is like yeah, that's a that's a that's a huge deal. Um, and it's so great that it, like you're saying, she's training to become a, a chaplain as well. That's, yes, she understands pain and she understands the, the pain people are in, and that's what she wants to do. Um, that is, um, that's amazing. Um, that's really awesome. But what? So kind of in, from a kind of Jesus perspective, um, um, in particular, but also just from a general perspective of of mindfulness as a whole. Like, what what are kind of the benefits? That you've experienced of mindfulness, and what are the kind of from the research you've done? What 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 actually neurologically are the benefits? Yeah, well, currently because of the advent of the functional MRI, you know, MRIs mean people are having to get this big tube and this real loud sound. These magnets are operating mm. to kind of peer into the brain. Mm. The I functional one, MRI yeah. is uh, uh, an application of that developed maybe 20 years ago, which can actually look at the function of the brain where certain parts of the brain light up. They're not actually lighting up, but it's just noticing more oxygen going there. So they've been, they've been able to, neuroscientists have been able to peer into the brain from that perspective without cutting into it. And every year in the past few years, hundreds of studies uh, are being done and they're being replicated, which increases their, uh, your confidence level. And they're really good, good studies. So just kind of a snapshot of the benefits that neuroscientists are discovering there are benefits to body, your body. There are benefits to your relationship. There are benefits to managing difficult emotions. There are benefits to handling uh, thoughts that kind of snowball when we ruminate over some problem. And there are benefits spiritually. So there are several broad categories that science is discovering. And of course, we see it also in Scripture, these kinds of things that we practice are beneficial to us. And now science is confirming what we have seen over the over the centuries from from the scriptures. Yeah, this is a fascinating thing for me. I, I I've noticed this a lot in in lots of different areas recently that that um, that science seems to just confirm things which were written two thousand years ago. You know, um, yeah. that, just in another language. You know, that I mean, like yeah. there's it's really interesting that you know because science shows that we operate best in relationship and that mm-hmm. at a cellular level that that everything's in relationship and you know, kind of, you look at like not just Christianity, but a lot of different scriptures talk about the benefits of relationship and healthy relationship, and that, well, you know, we were meant to be in relationship, you know, it's, yes. um, and community and all of that kind of thing. So there's a lot of it. Just, I mean, there's loads of other areas where this seems to seems to be applying, but it's kind of science and spirituality kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about. Um, spirituality through science let's put it that way mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'm kind of a, I consider myself a geek. My undergrad degree is engineering, and I've got this neuroscience degree, and so I love learning. And I think God made us with, with the desire to explore his universe. And so I think it's part of the way God created us to, to want to learn, and science is one of those vehicles through which we learn about God's creation. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely spot on. Yeah, I think we need... We need to definitely have a much healthier embrace of science. Um, mm-hmm. and certainly the kind of the Jesus movement, the Christian movement would, I think it's really, we need to kind of embrace science as part of that rather than kind of mm-hmm. what we've done historically, which is divide it up into God versus science, you know, when actually yeah, we should yeah. just be mm-hmm. fully embracing it. And um, I think that's, that's a really, really amazing thing. I mean, like, so speaking of like, Jesus, um, how do you see, like in Scripture, how does Jesus kind of model this and practice yeah. this? Where do we see this in, in Jesus, in the life of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus was the prototype, uh, the perfect example of someone who truly noticed several examples. One example, I'll just name two or three. Uh, in that day, a Samaritan woman, which was kind of half Jew, half, half, half Gentile, was really looked down upon. She, and there was this common watering hole, of a well, people get their water, and she was considered a non-person. Jesus was there, she came to this well, and he noticed her and engaged her in conversation. Another uh, time when the disciples were trying to keep children from coming to Jesus, Jesus noticed the children and invited them into his presence. Another time, lepers, lepers were required in that day. You, you had to stay so many meters away from healthy people. And one day, somehow, these lepers, a group of lepers knew that Jesus was walking down the road with his disciples. And Jesus noticed that they were calling for him. Another time, a woman who was sick, she had a long-term disease, had touched Jesus' clothes, and Jesus felt the uh, power come from him. He noticed that. So you find Jesus all the time in his busy schedule. I mean, he was crazy busy, but he was present in the moment, present for people, noticing what you and I would tend to overlook. And then you also alongside, Jesus also pulled away to be with his heavenly Father. And that was, uh, those were rich times when he communed with the Father and he was just being present for his Heavenly Father. So all throughout Scripture, even the Old Testament, we find examples of this mindful, contemplative being in the present moment without trying to push to the next better one. That's right, yeah. I mean, so much of, so much of contemplation and mindfulness is about being fully present in in the, you know, in, in the moment rather than... What we often do in kind of uh, Western culture is we go, we either live in, we either live from the past or we live from the future, you know. Yeah. And it's not yeah. that those two things. It's not that acknowledging the past and dealing with the past or planning ahead to the future are bad things. But often we get so caught up in those things that we forget to be fully present in what we're experiencing right now and where we mm-hmm. are. And and yeah, and those stories are really really powerful. And it's like I mean, to us when we re- I, I guess some people when they would read those stories it's like well of course it's obvious jesus would notice this woman because she was at the well or it's it's obvious jesus would notice these these children but it probably wasn't you know and nobody else was noticing them um like the disciples with the the children like they knew the children were there but they they thought they were annoyance rather than people to be paid attention to and jesus noticed them and that's the difference isn't it yeah yes yes and to to notice i don't mean necessarily 
physically noticing, but noticing has a much deeper meaning. Yeah. It is noticing with a holy purpose that God has us in this moment, and he wants us to be present in that moment for him, for others, or even for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a big, I mean, part of my own personal growth and journey is learning to be fully present in the moment. And I find that I've grown a lot more and my spirituality mm-hmm. has got a lot wider and deeper um, when I've learned to be fully present and start noticing things in my life and in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Um, great examples there of Jesus, I think. Um, so... I mean, there are groups of Christians who will have preconceived notions of mindfulness. You know, um, even even some progressive Christians have their kind of doubts about it. Um, what kind of encouragement? What kind of what wisdom would you say to people to try and open them up to kind of these ideas of mindfulness and meditation? Yeah. Well, so much of what is written today on mindfulness comes from an Eastern Eastern religions. And so some people obviously have some, you know, if I'm a Christian, I, I, I that, that's not my worldview. Eastern religion is not my worldview. Buddhism is not my worldview. So what I try to do is make this accessible for the Christian and to the Christian that would have an issue, what I would do, I would say probably three or four things. Number one, you find it deeply embedded in Scripture. In the Old Testament, you see, especially in the Psalms, you find one of the key words, Hebrew words, is the word zakar, which means to remember, to, to contemplate, to meditate. You see it richly in the Psalms and throughout the Old Testament as well. In the New Testament, you find the Apostle Paul. One of his favorite words he used in his writings was the word mind. Mindfulness is very much a part of being aware of what's going on in your mind. And 160 times in Scripture we have the word mind. So you have the New Testament, you have the Old Testament, you have the New Testament, you have the first three centuries where uh, Christians, the, the, the first part of the, the, that the two to three century time span, Christians left the cities where there was so much persecution and went out into the deserts in Palestine, Syria, and Egypt to get away uh, from this persecution. And they developed these being present, fully present, mindfulness techniques that they wrote down that had actually been translated the past few decades. You go a little further in the second, third century, um, when Christianity uh, was made the official language, some of the Christians felt like it was getting watered down, so more went out into the desert. So in in those first three centuries, probably 30,000 Christians went into the desert and they learned this practice deeply rooted in Scripture. So you have Old, New, Old Testament, New Testament, early Christianity, and then you go through the next several centuries, and I actually have a church history timeline of about 30 different Christians that embraced this thing called Holy Notice, that I'm calling Holy Notice, thing, mindfulness. And some of the most recent ones that would be familiar probably to, to a lot of people, like um, John Wesley, began Wesleyanism. Uh, A.W. Tozier, who's uh, 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 written richly on the spiritual life. Um, uh, Thomas Kiddings, Thomas Mertens. Uh, so you have this rich history mm-hmm. of those who practice in, in mindfulness that were Christian. So that's what I would say to the person who's concerned about it. It's rooted in the scripture, rooted in history. And the, the third big thing I would say, we have evidence-based research from the scientific world that says there's great, great benefit. And much of this research is done regardless of religion 
And so, like St. Augustine said, he was one of the church fathers, he said, all truth is God's truth. So we can learn from science. So I'd say those three things, the scriptures, history, and science, would give a strong uh, positive, should give us a strong positive feeling toward uh, practicing uh, mindfulness, holy noticing. Yeah, that's a lot of, there's a lot of background to it. And um, yeah, I've been discovering a lot more about Eastern perspectives on on Jesus and, and, and Christianity, which have also kind of led me towards the mindfulness thing, the, the stuff you're talking about. And yeah, it's, it's just there's just so much evidence that it's um, that it's a positive thing for your spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I was thinking about was Jesus. I've, I've talked to a lot of people about the humanity of Jesus. That you know that um, you know that growing up he would have kind of been a social outcast. He would have been a bit of a um, because of his background and birth, you know, he would have been a bit of a social outcast, and he wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to get married. And then he lost a parent, um, so he would have gone. He went through a lot of trauma before he even started um, preaching uh, and became public a public figure. Like he, um, and he, as a human being, he would have had to deal, learn how to deal with that, you know. And mm-hmm. so, th- and this practice, I suspect, would have been. Would, I wouldn't be surprised if it was part of that. This kind of contemplation and, and you know, and um, meditation, all this, the, the holy noticing, um, yes, yes, would have been absolutely would have been part of his his healing process potentially, you know, and um, and certainly, uh, you know, I've been working through a lot of trauma from my past, and I know that mindfulness and meditation has been a big part of that for me. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of another another example, I think, of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, a lot of the secular protocols dealing with various uh, mental challenges um, are using mindfulness as one of the tools. And they're also finding out that when it comes to like anxiety and depression, that mindfulness is, in some cases, just as or more effective than medication. And, you know, with a good doctor, I'm fine with medication. If you got going through depression or anxiety, find a good doctor, medication may be something you need. But to find that mindfulness actually is as effective or more effective in some cases. So, again, there's incredibly good research has been so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's just so much evidence that supports it. Um, so... So is there kind of a... I mean, I don't like to kind of distinguish between the kind of the, the secular and the Christian in terms of those binaries, but but for some people that, for some people that kind of works, and um, like um, especially those people who maybe are a bit sceptical about it. So in terms of um, how would you kind of distinguish um, kind of Jesus-centered mindfulness to yeah. mindfulness practices that other people talk about? Yeah, well, it's really a good question. Uh, the way I would answer that question, the first thing I would say is there is exercise. There, there's not Christian exercise. Yes, <laughs> you know? absolutely agree, 100%. Yes. Yes. So some of the practices that someone who's not a Christian might practice or someone who is a Christian might practice would be similar, like attention to the breath, like metacognition, which is being aware of your thinking, uh, like uh, naming your emotions because they say if you name your difficult emotions you call them out it actually quiets the fight flight part mm-hmm. of our brain so yeah. there's some of these common practices but the big distinction that I make is for the Christian the ultimate goal of practicing mindfulness is to really become more like Christ 
and our conduct and our character and our and our belief and our behavior. So the motivation is kind of wrapped up in the definition, noticing with a holy purpose, that purpose is ultimately, I want to become more like Jesus in how I live and how I think. Now, with that as a motive, I will, it's not like I dismiss these benefits, you know, these mental benefits and body benefits, but the motive, I think, is probably one of the most most uh, distinctive differences. And the other piece is, I have this little acronym that I suggest people to use called BREATHE to kind of help them remember some of the yeah. parts of mindfulness. Uh, it's tied to scripture. And that's what, in the first through third centuries, these desert mystics that went out to be with God, they tied what they were doing deeply to scripture. So I say those are the two distinctive, similar kinds of practices, attention to the breath, metacognition, those kind of things. But the motive, become more like Jesus, and the deep tie to, to scripture is a part of transforming our thinking and our, and our mind. Yeah, and you mentioned that breathe model, and I love I love that name for a model. By the way, I think it's a really great name for um, a meditation model um, because it's so much about breathing. And um, in the scriptures, the the word for the word for breath is the same word as the word for spirit, which I think is yes. brilliant. Um, so, what is this kind of breathe model that you talk about? Sure. Well, uh, what I've done is taken the word breathe and then breath. It's it's a pretty common. Um, uh, concept and word in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and I've uh, made it into an acronym, and we use them all the time, like, you know, BFF, that stands forever, VIP, very important person, so it's a simple way to remember more content of remembering the acronym first and then what goes with it. So each letter stands for a certain aspect of holy noticing, and I'll just go through them quickly here, and we can pick out an exercise if you like for me to, and I can explain in a little more detail, but B stands for body, and essentially it's a check-in. It's a personal check-in. B stands for body. R stands for relationships. E stands for environment, you know, your current setting. A stands for affect, which is really another word for emotions, affect. T stands for thoughts. H stands for heart. And E stands for engage, because holy noticing, a mindfulness in a Christian perspective, is not just something you do like in your morning devotional time. It is something you do there but you live it out, and the E stands for engage, engage the world like Christ, live out this this new life. So each letter stands for trigger aspect, B for body, R for relationships, E for environment, A for affect, T for thoughts, H for heart, and E for engage. And with each one of those, I, I, I suggest a, a, a two, three, to four, five minute um, exercise that helps uh, us experience mindfulness and the benefits of mindfulness uh, by going through the REATH, so that's that's it, kind of in a nutshell. Wow, that's that sounds fascinating, and and I take it you talk about these in the book. But I yeah, um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's some there's some practices in there that that we that people can kind of connect with and mm-hmm. and use. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it, it sounds really really interesting. Like, I and mean, what kind of give me an example of kind of one of these, just one yeah. of these practices. Like, yeah, we'll start with the B. Um, and here's the illustration. Several years ago, my doctor thought I had osteoporosis. And that's, you know, women really face that more than men. So when you don't have enough calcium and your bones just, just don't develop like they should, and not as strong as they sh- should be. So he sent me to get um, a body scan, or, or, or a bone scan, rather. And basically, they inject some sort of dye into your system, you lay on the table, and then the x ray goes from top to bottom, taking a picture of all your bones. So they did that, my bones were okay. But that's a great 
image to describe uh, the uh, exercise under B for body that we call a body scan, pretty pretty commonly used. And a body scan, just, just kind of like that, imagine that x-ray you're getting, a bone scan. Imagine a, a scanner starting your left foot, going through your left ankle, your left leg, then your right foot, right ankle, right leg, up to your torso, left hand, left arm, right hand, right arm, all the way up to the top of your head. Just imagine that going slowly, and as you do that, just notice the sensations in your body. Uh, and what I found are two benefits from doing this little simple exercise. Number one, you can find out where you're holding your tension, your stress. For me, it's my shoulders. Before I speak on a Sunday morning, I will do this just kind of in my heart before I come up to, to the, the platform. And oftentimes I realize, oh, my shoulders are hunched. So it reminds me to relax my shoulders. So it's a way to know where your stress is. There's another part, too. When I do the body scan, it's an opportunity to just thank God for this incredible creation of the body. King David in, in Psalms, he says something like, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. I can imagine he's looking, they look at his hand like, oh my, how I can articulate my fingers and grasp things and move, and, and, you know, 360 degrees. So what I do with this body scan, starting out with a B, sometimes I'll stop like, um, you know, I, I stopped at my shoulder recently. I've been kind of having a, 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 some difficulty with my shoulder. I just stopped and said, Lord, thank you for this incredible thing called the shoulder with all these muscles and ligaments and sinews and bones that allow us to move in all these di different directions. So what the body scan does, not only does it help you find out kind of where your tension is, but it starts your day with gratefulness. And evidence-based research tells us there are all kinds of benefits to being grateful. So it's a way to find that tension, but also a way to begin your day uh, with a grateful heart that you know can potentially carry on for the rest of the day. So each each one of those aspects has a simple exercise like that. That's amazing. That's really incredible. Um, that sounds really, really yeah. I love that. It's beautiful. Um, and it's just yeah, when you connect with all of that, it kind of it something. I and mean, there's something about breathing. Like mm -hmm. and there is something about breathing when you just stop and you pause and you breathe from your from your stomach, like, and you just breathe in mm -hmm. deeply. That connects you with your soul and connects you with yourself. It just and you, well, that feeling of that feeling of being able of breathing is just this. Uh, there's something really sacred about it. What's interesting, James, is that those first three centuries, these early desert mothers and fathers, desert mystics, they, they practiced something called the Jesus Prayer. And it was, it's basically <coughs> the combination of two, two scriptures, I think, from Matthew. And on the in-breath, it would be, Lord Jesus, on the out-breath, it would be, have mercy on me. They do this often, Lord Jesus, on the in-breath, on the out-breath, have mercy on me, just, you know, in, the, in their mind. And so this is one of the techniques I suggest is when you start a mindfulness, a holy noticing uh, uh, experience, create your own breath prayer. It may be that one of the, of the, the ancient mystics used. The one I have used is simply one that just works for me. Holy Spirit on the in-breath, breathe on me on the out-breath. Holy Spirit on the in-breath, breathe on me on the out-breath. For some it may be, Lord Jesus, you are love. Lord Jesus, on the in-breath, you are merciful. 
And so it's a simple prayer that we combine with this slow breathing. And by doing that, it kind of helps us clear the cobwebs out of our minds, helps us focus and center a little more so that we can then step into some of, some of these practices. So this, this whole breathing thing is rooted in Christian practice, but also in science, because what they found out is, especially on the out-breath, it engages something called the vagal nerve. The vagal nerve is a long nerve from the back of your head into your gut area. And when you engage that vagal nerve, it's called mm-hmm. good vagal tone. That's a fancy description for it. It actually calms us. It engages our what's called our parasympathetic nervous system. Yes. It calms the fight-flight part of our of our uh, nervous system, of our body, and of our brain. So there, there are biblical examples of using the breath in Bible in the Bible in history, and an awful science tells us the, the benefits of deep slow breathing. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's um, it's 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 just it's really really interesting, really interesting, and um, so helpful. I think as well. I think a lot of people will benefit from from what you're talking about. It, you know. Um, so how? So kind of just from the science of it, um, how do these practices kind of help the physical health of the body? Mm-hmm. There are so, so many. But, but one thing I do caution, I say this in the book, it's not a silver bullet. It's not, it's not going to cure cancer. But there's so many benefits. I'll just list a few. I mentioned earlier that uh, holy, that the practice of mindfulness actually slows down and disengages the fight-flight part of our, of our brain, the amygdala, the limbic system. And uh, when that happens, that helps us be able to think clear and just it, it's, it reduces the amount of cortisol that stays in our body. And if we're under chronic stress for quite a while, cortisol stays in our body. It actually shrinks part of our brain in the memory center and enhances the fight-flight part of our brain. It strengthens it. So it actually physically can reduce the amount of cortisol. It also can increase the amount of some of these feel-good neurotransmitters or brain chemicals like dopamine and oxytocin These are and serotonin. These are very important brain chemicals. It also helps in sleep. And one of the most amazing things they found out is it actually has an impact on longevity. At the end of our chromosomes are little end caps called telomeres, kind of like what's on the end of your shoelaces, those little plastic things on the end of shoelaces. And the longer they are in your chromosomes, that's related to longevity. And over as we get older, they, they get smaller. But practitioners of mindfulness, they, they're showing there's a correlation between practicing mindfulness and the slowing of the rate of the decrease in those little end caps on the chromosomes, which means potentially it has a positive impact on being able to live longer and live a, live a healthier life. So those are just a, a, a few of the body benefits. So one, one more. Um, there's something called HRV, heart rate variability. You know, we know what you know, your heart rate is. You want to have a good, healthy heart rate. The heart rate variability is a new measure of overall health. And heart rate variability is a difference between, uh, between uh, the heart, heartbeats. What they're finding is that mindfulness actually enhances heart rate variability, which in turn enhances the kind of overall measure of health. So there's, there's a, a bunch of bunch of benefits to the body. That's fantastic. Yeah, 
And as someone who's practiced mindfulness, I can definitely vouch for that. I am physically uh, and mentally a lot healthier for practicing yeah. mindfulness and deep breathing. Mm-hmm. It just has so many benefits. Um, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I could, yeah. This is this is really really great. Um, and so, okay, I think you mentioned a little bit about the the connection between holy noticing mindfulness and empathy. So just mm-hmm. kind of unpack that a bit for us. Yeah. Well, what what they found is that a person who practices mindfulness is going to be more empathetic. That is, be able to feel with the pain of another, but also take action. You know, you can feel sympathy with somebody and don't do anything to help them out. But empathy is is a step beyond where you really want to help. And one of the studies was. Um, they had uh, these, these uh, people in a waiting room, doctor's waiting room, and they had what they call a confederate. This is the person part of the study that's kind of faking it. It was a woman who came in, and she had a, a fake cast on, and she there were no chairs left. And she was groaning, obviously in pain. All the chairs were filled, mostly by, <laughs> by men. And the, over a period of time, they did this study. Some of these men who practiced mindfulness, some of them had not. Those who practiced mindfulness were more apt to get up and give a seat to the woman who was who was groaning. So they've done several kinds of studies like that to determine as we practice mindfulness, it makes us more connected to suffering and hurting of others. And like Jesus, he wanted to alleviate that suffering or at least come alongside and walk with him through that suffering. So it actually enhances empathy and, and the actual behavior to help relieve suffering and hurt. That's fantastic. That's really, really great. Because... We need more empathy in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, we need more empathy, we need more compassion, we need more, you know, connection between people, you know, because mm-hmm. there's so much division at the moment between people. Yeah. Um, and You're right. You see that on social media, you see that just in the world in general, it's like there's so much division and we need more empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a really good way of helping develop that in ourselves. Because some people are more naturally empathetic than others, but... I think mm-hmm. if we can all, we can. I think it's something we can all learn to develop. Um, mm-hmm. So um, absolutely. Um, so just like finally, what would kind of be your? What would be the one thing that you want people to take away from from this book and this? You know, um, yeah. The one thing. Let's see. The one thing I would take away is, and I would say I would speak this to the the, the Christian reader. You don't have to be afraid of mindfulness. Uh, uh, it is rooted in scripture. It is rooted in history. And good science supports the benefits of it. And fundamentally, mindfulness can be another tool to put in your toolbox of spiritual formation uh, practices that can profoundly impact your relationship with Jesus in a positive way. Awesome, that is awesome. And so, where can people get are the books available now? Are you noticing? It's available now. It's on Amazon.co.uk. It's available there, and they can learn more about it by going to holynoticing.com. And you actually, a little pop up will come up. They can request like a little free ebook, and they want to follow my um, uh, main website, charlestone.com. Two S's in there, charlestone.com. So two or three ways to connect with me and then just Amazon uh, has the book. All right, fantastic. And it's available now? It's available now, yep. Awesome, awesome, fantastic. Well, 
Um, I'm sure that book's going to benefit a lot of people. Um, I just, I, I just love talking about this, these, these kind of concepts because I think they're so, so important. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so, so, so beneficial for us um, in so many different ways. So thank you for writing this book and, and thank you for talking about this with me today. Well, James, thank you so much. Enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, so, yeah, um, check out this book, everyone. Um, and yeah, I really want to encourage you to pra- start practicing mindfulness because it will be, it can be so so helpful. So, um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care, and um, we will be back again soon.